Episode 192 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Cloud Accounting Software, FreshBooks with a free 30-day trial. To take advantage of that, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. What we found was that people who cut their goals in half are 63% more successful. The the principle, though, isn't, okay, so dream really big and then cut it in half. The principle is dream the right size from the get-go. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi, and thank you for being here. If you're like me and passionate about leadership and things like personal growth, productivity, career, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, those are the things we talk about here on the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to sit down with a guy named John Acuff. If that name sounds familiar, that may be for a lot of reasons, actually, but one of them may be the fact that he's been here twice before to talk about his previous two books. His most recent book, and so far my favorite from John, is a book called Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. It's the one we'll be talking about today, and I'll be asking John to share about why you must be willing to embrace imperfection, something I certainly struggle with, how cutting a goal in half can actually help you accomplish more, the secret rules we often place on our goals and how to get past them, and lots, lots more. There's a lot of good superhero movies out this year. I saw Wonder Woman back in June. I just saw Justice League over the weekend. I haven't been out to see Thor yet, but hope to see that very, very soon. And, And though you and I don't necessarily have superpowers, I feel like many of the tools readily available to us on the internet compared to several years ago make us seem almost superhuman. And one of my favorites in that regard is cloud accounting software FreshBooks. Keeping track of my invoices and expenses is not something I'm naturally good at. (laughs) Just keeping it all organized and on track. But FreshBooks makes me feel like I'm, I'm donning a cape because every time I use it, the time I save alone makes me look like a superhero. Using FreshBooks means more time with my wife. It means more time with my clients. It means more time with my family and friends. They don't necessarily know my FreshBooks secret. That's just between you and me. But suffice it to say, FreshBooks makes my life a whole lot easier. If you'd like to try it for yourself, it's easy to do. You get access to all of FreshBooks features free for a month when you check out that 30-day trial. Just go to FreshBooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Again, that web address is FreshBooks.com slash read to lead. John Acuff is the New York Times bestselling author of six books, including Start, Quitter, and Do-Over, among others. For over 20 years, he's helped some of the biggest brands in the world tell their story, including The Home Depot, Bose, Staples, and the Dave Ramsey team. Most recently, he's spoken to hundreds of thousands of people at conferences, colleges, companies, and churches. Featured regularly on national media, John has been seen on CNN, Fox News, Good Day LA, and several other key outlets. He is also a big proponent of social media and in 2010 used his influence there to build two kindergartens in Vietnam. His new book, a number one Wall Street Journal bestseller, is called Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. 
Well, he's making his uh, third visit back to the podcast, so I hope that's a good thing, John. Welcome officially back to Read to Lead. Yeah, thanks for having me. Three's a charm. I think so. Yes. Well, I, I uh, hearkening back to one of your early books, Start, I'd love for you to contrast this book with that book. What, what have you learned since then that made you realize this book, Finish, is, is, is necessary? Yeah, I mean, I would say that this is the book that most directly came from a very real, real need amongst mm-hmm. readers. Um, I had the good fortune to have honest readers say, hey, I liked Start. It was helpful. Um, it was, but I've never had a problem starting. I can start tomorrow. I've started a million things. How do I actually finish? And I thought that was awesome feedback. And at the time, this is a couple of years ago, I really didn't have an answer. Mm. Um, and so that kind of kicked me on this two-year journey of, okay, well, how does a person finish? Why do some people finish? Why don't others? And so, yeah, I, I was very I was very appreciative that the audience kind of kicked me in the butt and said, hey, you've talked about one half of it. What about the other half? And perfectionism is at the heart of this, right? I mean, I, I certainly have dealt with this myself over the years. Explain this idea uh, of uh, sort of the day after perfect, I think is what you call it in the book. And why we need to be willing, John, to embrace imperfection if we're going to become consistent finishers. Well, I mean, I think there's a number of things. One, if you said to me, John, my goal is to be able to prove that unicorns live in Middle Tennessee, (laughs) I would say, you know, Jeff, you're never going to find one. (laughs) If your metric of success is to find a unicorn in Tennessee, you will live a life of failure and it'll be really unhappy for you and your family. So I would argue perfectionism is every bit as fictional. Something is available or possible that just simply is not. And so what happens is people like you and I that tend to be perfectionists, (laughs) we something and chasing it and chasing it and end up really disappointed where we get almost close enough because perfection always looks close. Like you're step away, you're 10 steps away, you're so close. And so the first problem is it doesn't exist. The second problem is that it teaches you really terrible habits. Like if it can't be perfect, don't even start it. Mm. So an example of that, a perfectionist will tell you, I'm going to run five miles a day, but I only have time for three today, so I'm not going to do any. And you go, well, three is more than zero, but a perfectionist would rather get a zero than a C minus. Hmm. Um, perfectionists have messy cars and messy offices. Why? Because unless they can clean it with a toothbrush, they won't even start. And so the biggest problem of all, perhaps, is that people think it's a quality. They think it's a character trait. They say, oh, I'm such a perfectionist, that, which you know sounds like a positive thing, but is actually a a diagnosis of being crippled in action and, and not getting anything done. And so that's why I really wanted to, you know, go at it. Example of that, I asked people on Twitter, asked a thousand people, have you ever had an idea in your head that before it was even written down, you, you judged it as too dumb? Mm. And 97% of people said they had. So that's that's an indication of perfection, like that you're, you're already editing before it even exists in the real world. I think where my struggle lies personally with that is I don't want to do it sort of halfway. I, I want it to be really, really good. And sometimes that gets in the way of, well, it's not good enough yet. What would you say to that? Well, I would say that like the desire for it to be excellent is is a great thing. It is. But when it morphs into perfection, you get into dangerous territory because mm. then you expect to be excellent at things you've never done. Mm. Jeff, I, I hope that this episode, episode 192, is better than the first 20 you did. Like, I really <laughs> hope against all hope that you go, you know what? <laughs> I thought I was doing, like, I was doing the best I was capable of. 
but it wasn't as good as it is now. So perfectionism though tells you it should be excellent right out of the gate. There's no iteration with perfection. Mm. There's no growth. There's no try it until it gets better. There's no small improvements. It's It has to be amazing today or the whole thing's not worth doing. But see, John, I did radio for 26 years first. And so my first podcast episode, my first 20 have to be excellent. <laughs> yeah, well, your voice is excellent. You have a radio voice. There's nobody denying that. Well, when I first read the title of chapter two, I was kind of like, well, that certainly goes against most goal setting advice nowadays. The the chapter called Cut Your Goal in Half. And in a world where we're constantly being told to you know, take massive action and and set, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals, how does how does cutting your goal in half fit in? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I had a woman recently say, I saw that chapter and I got really mad. And I said, why? And she said, I thought it was going to tell me what every goal setting book says, which is instead of giving yourself three years to do the goal, do it in 18 months. The pressure will inspire you. Or <laughs> instead of making $100,000, make $200,000. Like She thought it was that kind of cut it in half. I, uh, for the first time ever, I actually commissioned a research study with a local university and worked with a PhD to study nearly 900 people over a six-month period as they worked on goals. Mm. And one of the things we saw over and over is that people dream too big, which like you said, is counterintuitive. You'll never see that on a gym wall. You'll never <laughs> post that with CrossFit. But what happens is people go, hey, Jeff, I'm going to get into running. And you go, oh, that's great. And they go, yeah, I'm going to run a marathon. And you want to go, well, have you ever run like a half marathon or a 10K or a 5K, even just a K? Have you ever run a K? And they go, no, I got to go for it. I got to dream big. I got to have a goal. Like if your goal doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. And that all sounds so good, but none of it is proven. Mm. And so what we saw was just the opposite. So here's an example. Most people judge their goals on a pass-fail basis. So one of the big myths is, you know what, Jeff? Shoot for the moon, because even if you fail, you'll land amongst the stars. That sounds <laughs> nice, but the psychology doesn't line up. If my goal is to lose 10 pounds and I lose eight, I don't feel like I almost got there. I feel like I failed by two and I give up. So I wanted to see, and the researcher wanted to see, if we asked you to cut your goal to five instead of 10, and you lost the same eight pounds, would you have felt like you won by three and continue? And what we found was that people who cut their goals in half are 63% more successful. So if somebody says to me, no, I'm of the school, you just have to go for a crazy goal. I would just say, well, show me your six month research project. I'll show you mine. And then usually they're like, you're stupid. I hate your Twitter. And so the, the principle though, isn't okay. So dream really big and then cut it in half. The principle is dream the right size from the get go. If somebody said to me, John, I want to write a book. I wouldn't say only write half. I'd say, why don't you say I want to write a chapter and have a goal and accomplish that and then and then figure that out. Now, the flip side of that is a lot of goals at work that are inherited. You can't walk into your boss and go, hey, you know, my sales goals cut them in half. Mm. So in that situation, there's two things that happen. One, you're probably going to have to increase your actions. If you can't touch the timeline or the result, you have to double your actions. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is you then plan to dream the right size next time. You go, okay, you know what? I'm in a bit of a pickle, but next time I do a goal, you better believe I'm going to have the right size from the get-go. Well, John, what if what if somebody Jesus jukes you, so to speak, and says, well, John, I try to live by the, the advice that if my vision doesn't scare me, my vision for my life doesn't scare me, then it's probably an insult to God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would just be like, show me in the Bible where that was an insult. God said your vision is t like, let's, I mean, I'll touch on the faith for a second. Mm. Christians act like they can either pray or plan. They can't do both. Mm. So mm. I would like, I love miracles. I hope your plan has miracles. I just don't want your plan to be based on seven distinct miracles. <laughs> like I look at it this way, all throughout the Bible, there are examples where God could have just fixed the whole situation with like his breath. <laughs> like he could have gone like walls of Jericho. 
<laughs> Instead, he goes, here's a plan. He could have handed Noah a complete art, and Noah would have been like, that's amazing. He would been like, actually, once you've done like the kidney, once you've created the limbic system, a boat is pretty easy, Noah, but here it is. <laughs> Instead, he made Noah do a plan. And the third thing I'd say is Christians love misinterpreting or like yanking out of context certain verses. So sometimes Christians that don't want to do the hard work of planning will say, I'm going to go to the land that you show me like Abraham. And they <laughs> act like that's a sign of faith when I would say it's often a sign of disobedience. I love that. Well, I discovered while reading the book that, that John and I have some things in common, like complete lack of lawn care skills. Sure. And a disdain for uh, Snapchat, among them. Uh, explain what you mean, John, by strategically choosing what we're going to be bad at. Yeah, so this is that phrase. There's a phrase called strategic incompetence that I absolutely love. It's from this book, uh, Two Awesome Hours. And it was just like this small part of it. And I really got engaged in that and started to research that. And so what that means is that ahead of time, you decide... As I work on a goal, I won't focus on these other things because your choice is strategy or shame. Shame says you can do it all. And then when you can't, you feel ashamed. Mm. Strategy says for a period of my life, I'm not going to be great at this, this and this. And that's okay. A great example of that is I've worked at a retail company and we acted like December was a normal month. It wasn't. <laughs> December was insane. So uh, what we should have done is every November, we should have sat down and said, hey, December isn't like March. So we need to say three things we won't worry about until January. And so a lot of what happens is, especially moms, feel this pressure to just add and add and add and add, and it ends up really hurting them. John, why do you think we have this tendency for discounting making this whole process fun? Why are we not allowed to have, or we think we're not allowed to have fun through all this? Well, I would say it's historical. I mean, some of our phrases, like, when you're working hard, you've got your nose to the grindstone. Mm. Like, that's terrible, dude. <laughs> like, that's like a scene from the movie Saw. Like you've put some a human's nose on a grindstone, <laughs> like ugh. And so then what happens is we've got this long history. And if you if you think about it this way, so if I ask the average person, hey, what are the first five words you think about when you think about goals? They go striving, hustle, grind, um, perseverance, willpower, grit. <laughs> you know, they never say fun, joy, laughter, happiness. And so that impacts what they choose to do. So when somebody tells me they're going to get in shape and I go, how? And they go, I'm going to run. I'll say, well, do you like running? And they're always like, no, I hate it. That's why I know it's good for me. I think we just grew up thinking that. I think our culture persists with that lie that it has to be difficult for it to have value. And, you know, I, I think even if like, let's talk about corporately speaking, hmm. the, I would argue the most popular form of goal setting, at least in, for you and I's generation is um, the acronym SMART, mm -hmm. as in SMART goals. And if you're not familiar with it, I imagine most listeners are, it stands for, and there's some variation, but in general, it stands for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time bound. Those are kind of what your goal should be. And I'm fine with those words. I think hmm. that's a good, simple framework. I have nothing against that framework. Just tell me which of those words is remotely related to fun. You know, like what time bound? Oh, how was vacation? It was amazing. It was time bound. I knew when it was going to end. Like that's a terrible way to go through life. And so I think that's a big part of it is whether it's personal goals or work goals, we expect it to be terrible. And so therefore we pick goals that we really don't like and do things we really don't want to do. You see this on the grand scale of kids picking a college major where a parent said you should do this major this is a real major. How will you ever make money with that thing you enjoy? Mm. 
you know, it's time to grow up. So they picked this vegetable major. And then like I meet them senior year and they go, they pull me aside and go, hey, everybody said I'd be a good lawyer, but I don't want to go to law school, but I don't know what to do. And so I think it's it's a combination of all of those. And then we're just we just don't see fun goals mirrored very often. You know, mm-hmm. the things that, you know, we're in the same space. What do we see guys and girls on Instagram posts? They post like 4 a.m. I'm up hustling. Like, <laughs> look at my bloody hands from my weightlifting. Like, look at the struggle or where versus saying like, man, it was so much fun. Like, <laughs> this is the best. Like, I enjoyed this. We don't. So it's I would say it's every level. Yeah, I, I took up running uh, about a year and a half ago, and in, in the early going, it was something that I disliked a great deal. I have learned to like it a little bit more, but in the beginning, and, and I'd be curious to know if you feel there's value in this in the beginning, I thought, well, if I can just make myself do this first thing, you know, sort of eat that frog kind of mentality, then everything else the rest of the day by by comparison is a whole lot easier. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's study after study that shows if you've got something difficult to do, get it out of the way when you're full of willpower, mm. you know? Um, so I think there is value there. And, and I think, so the takeaway from this isn't have fun, only do things that are fun. Like Mm. we have done this next generation, a great disservice by telling them you should only pursue your passion. Mm. You know, when something isn't in your purpose, quit that second. Like when you know your purpose, things get easier. Like that's not true. I think that the principle isn't have fun. The principle is make it fun. Mm. And that means be deliberate about seeking out and causing joy in what you're working on. That's a key distinction. Well, speak to, uh, John, our motivations in this area, if you would. I was fascinated by how you're motivated in regard to, to public speaking. It's not so much doing a good job in order to receive applause, but rather doing a good job to avoid the, the booze. Yeah, so there's really two forms of motivation scientists kind of think about. There's what's called fear, motivation, and reward. Mm -hmm. Another way to say it is approach and avoidance. So approach is, if I do these three things, I will approach a good reward. Um, Avoidance is, if I do these three good things, I will avoid a negative consequence. And so an example, an easy example of that would be deadlines. A Mm -hmm. deadline is a healthy form of fear motivation. It's you getting more done on a Friday because Monday it was due and you have a deadline. (laughs) The example I use for speaking is I I love the laughter. I love the clapping. Like I'm a human who doesn't love that. But what drives me more is the fear of bombing. I don't want to bomb a speech. Like that's my worst nightmare. And so when I, you know, when I think about working on speeches, you better believe that's something that's bouncing around my head of like, okay, like I don't want to be on stage under those hot lights, you know, with people not engaged. Like how do I make sure? So that's part of part of your job as an individual is to figure out when it comes to goals, which way am I motivated? And also it's really neat to go when it comes to the people I work with, how are they motivated? Nothing is as frustrating as a leader telling somebody, hey, you're great. People like you, but you're messing up this one part of your job. And if you don't fix it, you're going to get fired. And if they're not motivated by fear, it doesn't even like they don't even notice what you're saying. You know, even as they get fired, they're like smiling on their way out like, oh, well, whatever. Um <laughs> You know, and it's not because they're lazy or entitled. It's not that. It's just you didn't try to motivate them with the thing they care about. It'd be like when you have two kids, you realize, oh, my gosh, kids are different. Like they come with such different personalities. And a kid who's an extrovert who doesn't get to go to the party will be wounded by that punishment. A kid who's a, you know, an introvert that you say, hey, you have to go to your room by yourself and be quiet. They're like, oh, no, not that. Like they're fine with that. So I think that's part of what's neat is figuring out, Okay, this is the thing that drives me. These are the things that don't. So I need to add more of these to what I do. It's like my siblings could be motivated through stern words when we were young. And for me, it took, you know, beatings basically. (laughs) 
Yeah, so that's the, like the word wasn't enough. Yeah, it wasn't enough. Well, John talks about the, the secret rules we place on our goals sometimes. John, explain this concept and, and some questions that we might ask ourselves to help identify them as that's sort of the first phase of attacking these secret rules process. Yeah, so a really simple one that a lot of people struggle with is, you know, people say the fear of success. Um, And so usually what that means is you're afraid of what success represents in your mind. You've adopted the secret rule that success is bad or it's greedy. You know, it's it's something that good people don't have in their life. And, you know, in the South where we live, I see this manifested in money. People have a lot of money rules where a friend of mine at a dinner party said, that CEO makes $20 million a year. How do you think he sleeps at night? And I wanted to say probably on Hungarian down with like, <laughs> like probably pretty well. But he established that $5 million is okay. $6 million is sinful. It's a weird thing. And so we have, you know, these extra rules. We have, or, or maybe it's something, it's a limitation where somebody in high school told you you're not a good speaker. And even as your company says, we love how you lead meetings, you're great. Even as you grow in that, you're like, but I'm really not a good speaker. So you keep pulling back from opportunities where you could really shine. And it's because you've got this rule that says, I'll never be a good speaker. And you live against that. Was that a personal experience you were trying? Did somebody say that to you when you were younger? Oh, no, that's not. Mine is more success. Mm. I'm much more, I would say success or that, you know, another secret rule. It'll, and they don't like, they're often picked up in a moment of like trauma. So if somebody mm. takes advantage of you, it's really easy to say, okay, everybody's out to take advantage of me. Or I'll fix this by never allowing people to get close to me again. And just because one person in a business situation took advantage of you certainly doesn't mean other people are going to try. And it really limits your ability to be successful. Well, John, before I jump to a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you that aren't directly related to the book, I wondered if there's anything else that you want to make sure uh, we touch on uh, from the book itself. No, I I think what's interesting is that we turned it into a course. As often happens, a bunch of people said, hey, we like the book, but we'd love to do, like we want deeper dives, we want video, we want a community. People tend to change in two ways, crisis or community. Crisis, you know, they lose a job, they get in a car crash, a parent dies, something kind of, you know, shocks them awake. Community, a friend believes in them for the first time. Um, A friend asks a question, a friend points out something they don't know about, you know? They go, oh my gosh. Um, you know, this is, this is amazing. And so I think the course is a great way to plug into a community. So if people, people want to check it out, it's just finishcourse.com. Well, uh, one question I always ask is some books you would recommend. And I know from having read the book and then seen some of your social media posts recently that I think this year you're in like what, 150 realm. Like how many books have you read so far this year? I'll read 156 total. I'm at 123 now. Well, I'd love for you to speak to uh, some of what you talk about in regard to that in the book and, and how you qualify that, if you will, you know, what counts, so to speak. And, and also, if you can pick one or two or three from that list uh, to recommend. Well, I, I mean, this kind of gets back to the idea of a secret rule. Mm. Some of us live against standards that we don't even know we're living against. So it's funny. I'll read a 150 page Batman graphic novel and I'll post it on Instagram and somebody go, that doesn't count. And I want to say, according to who? Like, who is the judge of John Acuff's personal reading challenge? Right. I sure hope it's John Acuff. Like, if I say it counts, guess what? It counts. Um, you know, when people give themselves these fake conditions, mm. like, okay, I've always wanted to write a book, but. I've written three that were self-published. They don't count because they weren't with a real publisher. What? That's terrible. Why are we so mean to each other? And so, yeah, my I, one of the first rules is 
you control what counts. So I would say some of my favorite, um, Shoe Dog was really good, the Phil Knight book. Mm-hmm. The Genius of Birds was really interesting. And also The Shape of Ideas by Grant Snyder. Just great book on creativity and ambition and, you know, how you build a career. Really, really good. Do you have any methods for helping you remember what you read or is it more of reading to inform how you think? I would say it's more to shape how I think. I mean, I think studies show what you retain, like 2% of what you read. Mm. So I love when people are like, oh, you're not going to retain it. I want (laughs) to like, yeah, tell me last year what you retained from the first book you read in 2016. And like, they're like, Ugh. so I think it's really, it's two things. It's changing how I think. And then it's collecting stories. So that if I have a situation, I can say, Oh man, Phil Knight, this was like, da, 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 da. Mm. and I can illustrate it with something that's real. Well, something I've noticed you've been doing uh, quite a bit more of, I believe recently is video on, on LinkedIn. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I've just been jumping into LinkedIn in general. Yeah. I, I dig LinkedIn, dude. I'm a, I'm a fan. Well, uh, one of your video posts I saw recently was about the importance of the first minute and the last minute of a public talk. And a question I often ask is for tips on delivering an effective public talk. But I'd like to refine this question a bit and ask you if you wouldn't mind sharing some of that, your thoughts on the importance of the open and the close. Yeah, I think... I mean, it's it's kind of an epidemic. A lot of speakers will get up and say, they'll reintroduce themselves. Hi, my name is John. Like, they've just done that. <laughs> like, a dude did that 12 seconds before. Mm. So they'll reintroduce themselves, or they'll thank the audience. I'm so excited to be here today. Haven't we had some good speeches? Or if you're a pastor, you'll say hi to other campuses, which is the most useless thing in the world. <laughs> you'll say, I want to say hi to like people watching online. and like, And you'll kind of go through a laundry list of other campuses. And the problem is that minute matters and you've just wasted it. So, and, you know, it's the, it's the opening minute and the closing minute. So what I say is I'm not against saying those things. I think you should be thankful. I'm against you ever reintroducing yourself because that's stupid. <laughs> but I think you can do that in the middle. I would rather you come out and do a, what I call a lean in line, which is a line that forces me to lean in for the rest of the story. That matters more. And people are going to go, wait, 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 what was that? Where's the story going? Like, that's unexpected. And so I'll come out and say, I wish it was more difficult to buy a chainsaw. And then, like, you haven't heard that sentence before. And you go, what is this story? Like, I'm a mortgage banker at it. Like, what? And so that, to me, matters so much more. And in the middle, I can always say, like, and it's fun to be here today to talk to these five campuses, like the one in Dixon, you know, um, but not in the first minute. First minute matters too much. Other than the, the course that you mentioned, is there anything else that you're you're working on with your team that you want to make sure that we know about? I'd say there's two things. One companies have been buying it a lot. I had a company buy 5,000 copies Mm. because there's not a CEO or manager on the planet that says, no, my team finishes too much. I want them (laughs) to finish less. Like if you, you know, it's a great company book and it's actually fun. And then the second thing is around Christmas. Like I've had so many spouses buy this for their spouse because it's the kind of book you can give as an encouragement, not as an indictment. There are some books You give a husband and it seems like, hey, it's a book about failures as husbands. I thought you should read it. (laughs) And it causes a fight. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't repair things. So this is much more of the idea of going, hey, like I see something in you you don't see and I want to amplify that. So I would say that. So if you're a company person, it's a great gift. If you're, uh, if, you know, you're married or have somebody who said they've always wanted to write a book, they've always wanted to lose weight, they're always wanted to start a business. It's a great kind of bit of nitro, if you will. Mm. 
Well, it's a number one Wall Street Journal bestseller, and it's a great book, in my opinion, and I think you'll love it. It's called Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done, and his name is John Acuff. John, thank you so much for taking of your time and spending it with us here for these 30 minutes. Yeah, I'll see you for episode four next time I come back. Only uh, Jeff Goins has more appearances than you. How many does Goins have? He's, he's got four. Ah, oh, get out of here, Goins. <laughs> well, we're going to fix that. Well, if John has anything to do with it, I guess there will be a fourth Read to Lead appearance at some point. Looking forward to that book already. If you want to connect with John on Twitter, he's at John Acuff on Twitter. That's at J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F. Of course, I'll hook you up with all the links and resources John mentioned, not only the books he recommended, but even the books he referenced, and also how you can find out more about that course that he talked about. You can find all that on the show notes page I've created just for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash the numbers 192. readtoleadpodcast.com slash 192. If accounting is your kryptonite, let FreshBooks cloud accounting software save the day. Find out more about their free 30-day trial at freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. A big thanks to Dr. Booze. That's right, Dr. Booze for his or her five-star rating and review in iTunes saying read to lead saves time and improves life. What could be better? If you'd like to leave a rating and review in iTunes, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. And thank you in advance. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.